0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Millennial Business Podcast, where we source the top thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to teach millennials how to live, lead, create, and earn like the most successful men and women in all industries. This is the advice you wish they taught you in school. So sit back, grab your pen and paper, and make sure you are ready. Because this is a podcast by a millennial for the millennials that is going to change your life. Okay, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Business Podcast. I'm so excited to be joined today by the beautiful Sarah Davidson, who, Sarah, I didn't mention this before we started recording, but the, the way that I discovered you was actually a few years ago, I went to a business event and you were speaking and shared your story. I started following you on Instagram and have sort of maybe been Insta-stalking you ever since. Um, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. What event was it? It was in Sydney. It was a. Uh, it was something to do with wellness. I can't actually remember what it was called. It was like
1: the wellness festival.
0: Yes, that's yeah, that's what it was.
1: That was such a fun mm-hmm. event. Yeah, oh my gosh, it what? was so good. Yeah, I love it. So, <laughs> and look who we are now. <laughs> you know, and Paul has come to join. He doesn't want to look at you because you know Instagram face. He hasn't got his yeah. face on this morning, but
0: <laughs> podcast listeners, Sarah has a very cute golden retriever lying on her bed behind her, so... (laughs) Um, cool. So Sarah, for those of you, uh, for those of the audience that don't know you and haven't heard your story like I have, would you mind to share who you are and how you got to where you are today? Because I know from listening to it before, it's an absolutely epic story. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm sorry if you've heard it before. My jokes are the same every single time. So you'll have to tolerate them again, just pretend to laugh. So okay. I am a lawyer turned entrepreneur, is how I explain it. I started off on a very conventional and traditional legal pathway. Not so much because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, but more because I've always been equal parts Nerd Burger and Arty Farty. And all through school, I kind of did a mix of subjects. I did all kinds of different extracurricular activities. I really tried to keep both sides of my brain going. And by the time I applied, you know, by the time I finished high school, I still didn't know what kind of career would suit that. So I chose law because I thought it was really broad and it would keep lots of doors open. And then by the time I finished uni, I still hadn't really figured it out. So I thought, well, I've studied this degree now, I might as well use it. And my mum always said to me, if you don't know what you want to do, you've got to do something. The time is going to pass anyway. So you might as well do the thing that opens more doors rather than closes them. So I thought I've given it, you know, I studied I had a lot of fun at uni. I also studied really hard. I think you can kind of be both and uh, did a lot of exchanges. Again, tried to just explore every possibility and opportunity and uh, ended up getting into an amazing international commercial law firm where I started my career. And I spent three and a half, I think nearly four years as a full-time a lawyer in um, mergers and acquisitions. And the biggest thing now that I reflect on, so many people are like, oh, did you hate your job? Is that what helped you leave? Like real unhappiness. And I look back at that time and I actually wasn't that unhappy. I wasn't trying to leave. I wasn't desperately depressed. I didn't wake up every morning not wanting to go to work. I actually really enjoyed parts of it. It was really intellectually stimulating. I got to travel. I learned an enormous amount about the world and how business works. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know what shares were when I graduated and I didn't do commerce law. I did arts law. So I had no idea about basic fundamental things in how markets work. So I did do a lot of learning, but I, I now realize that people don't really make a change when they're just blah or okay. It takes active unhappiness or or inconvenience to make a change. And I wasn't actively unhappy or inconvenient. So I just kind of coasted there. And I actually think I got to the point where I was like, this is, this is it. Like, this is what life is just being like, okay, about my job. I was really grateful to have a job at all and just decided to make the most of it. But it wasn't until a very happy accident that I was given the chance to kind of break that autopilot circuit and really see that there were other things out there. So I've become really passionate about helping others have a happy accident that helps them realize that. And um, I got to go to Africa with my now husband, whose creative agency had been supporting a charity that uh, supported a school in Rwanda and we got to go as sponsors to spend time in that school, which was absolutely transformative. But I brought home, along with all my takeaways, a nasty gut parasite. And I was so disconnected with health and well being and the signs my body was giving me that I kept working. I lost 15 kilos. I didn't notice anything. I was still working really long hours until I just collapsed with adrenal fatigue. And my body was like, had enough. You're not listening. I'm just going to totally conk out on you. And it was in the process of, getting a really quick initiation into health and wellness, learning that you actually have to kind of look after yourself if you want to ask a lot of your body. I was banned from coffee because my adrenals couldn't handle the caffeine. And then after I'd gone, I took a couple of months off work. I had to take off to get better. Then I got sent to Hong Kong to the law firm's headquarters, where in Asia, matcha green tea powder is everywhere. It's been around for centuries. The Zen Buddhist monks use it in their meditation practices to give them a burst of energy. But unlike coffee, where you get the spike and then a crash, uh, matcha has a unique amino acid in it called L-theanine, which makes it slow release into your bloodstream. So it lasts a lot of, you know, longer, longer periods of time, like three to four hours, which is why the meditations, uh, they would get energy for multi-hour sessions, um, and it's much gentler on your body, but you still get a buzz. So I discovered this miracle, healthier form of caffeination. I was drinking it every day. I was thinking in Australia and America and the world, the health food market is booming. We're all drinking green smoothies. Spirulina tastes like foot and we'll drink that because it's healthy. Whereas matcha, it actually tastes nice. It tastes like just green tea. So I came home, couldn't find it. My partner and I wanted to find a reasonably priced accessible middle ground but that was marketed really well but there were only really old-fashioned super expensive japanese uh like special occasion versions for 60 dollars for like a tiny tin or sugary versions in a um, asian supermarket but no one had it in health food stores it wasn't cool there was no cool brand and uh, the, the kardashians were drinking it but there wasn't a brand name so we thought well we'll just go online i'm sure we'll find something overseas found a really good supplier in Japan, ordered 10 kilos. It was the minimum. It arrived home. It was way too much. We had a lot to get rid of. So we started Natural Maiden as a side hustle so that we could make some of our money back (laughs) as a total side project. And it exploded. And uh, a week later, we'd sold out. It kept growing and growing before our eyes. And um, I quit my job at the law firm six months later. And that was five years ago.
0: Amazing. And I imagine from five years ago to now, it's just gone up and up and up and beyond you, your wildest dreams or what you could imagine. Is that Has that been the case?
1: Absolutely. It is one of those things where it's almost better when you have no expectations because then everything is a bonus. And I think we get really bogged down in overthinking, over planning, being aware of all the risks and all the possible scenarios mm-hmm. and because we didn't have any of that and we were just so blissfully naive, it meant that we were open-minded to it getting as big as it could go because we Mm -hmm. had no rigid plan. If you stick too rigidly to something, you don't allow for other possibilities. But because we were just like, whatever happens, happens. Just kept growing. We kept adapting. We had to learn everything on the fly very quickly. Uh, And it just turned out a, a really beautiful combination of good timing, a bit of luck that no one else was really doing it. And they didn't start doing it until we were sort of a year in, um, combined with, uh, again, naivety and just a willingness to give it a go. And yeah, by six months in, uh, we had gotten into Urban Outfitters across the U.S., we had started to realize it was becoming an actual thing, not just a our fa- friends and family buying it from us. <laughs> we were still packing it ourselves, so I always say it was like Breaking Bad but green. We're packing it in undies, like with shower caps on and with crocs, and that went on for. Gosh, longer than I care to admit, but um, about a year after that, we realised that the online world didn't really allow the human interaction that we really both enjoyed. So we opened Matcha Milk Bar, the cafe, again as a pop-up experiment. Went really well. The Hemsworths came; they loved it. That exploded. Uh, and then three years after that, CZA came up as um, again. I sort of always I moved from following a path because I thought it was what I should do Mm. to now only making decisions based on where is the gap? Like what is the gap of myself that's not being fulfilled and Mm. how do I fill it? And the gap was suddenly the brands have been the most wonderful learning curve and stepping stone, but they're very constrained by the brand guidelines. It has to be about tea or it has to be about food. And I wanted to talk about burnout and self-doubt and, Mm. The process and all the behind the scenes stuff that doesn't make um, the glossy sort of polished business feed. So CCA came about
0: because of that. Amazing. That's actually been sort of a theme in a couple of episodes that I've recorded recently is listening to your heart versus listening to your head. Because so many times we are told by society or we think oh we should do that because that's what a smart person what the smart smartest option would be or it's what will make us the most money or it's what mum and dad would approve of but in reality when you listen to your heart or when you go with your gut then you'll have the success that you had with with your business because you, you don't have expectations. You, you're just following your heart center. You're doing what feels right. It's all coming from a place of alignment versus coming from, oh, I shouldn't do this. This is what other people are telling me to do, all that sort of stuff.
1: Totally. And I think the really big thing I've learned is even if you might decide, even if you might start asking yourself, do I really want to be here? Is this what really lights me up? Some people actually decide no. Some people are like, actually, if I turn my passion into my profession and I start, you know, for creatives, for example, sometimes Mm -hmm. if they start getting paid for their work and then they have to create to other people's briefs, sometimes it takes the joy away. Mm -hmm. So some people might decide to stay in a job that they don't really love because it pays the bills and allows them to do their hobby on the side. And that's, absolutely fine. You might decide not to make any different decisions to what you're making, but I think the big thing for me is just stopping to ask the question. And what I didn't do was ever stop to ask the question. I just kept going along with, this sounds like a good idea. This ticks certain boxes. And I think if we've ticked learning, objectively successful gratitude, like once we tick a certain amount of boxes, we never really Ask any further, and we just keep going. And then it's like 50 years later, and you kind of have a midlife crisis, and you're like, Why did I never take control of my life? Whereas I think yeah. if we start to at least evaluate and ask ourselves, What do I enjoy? What don't I enjoy? And even if you make the same, even if, if it equals the same life, at least you've consciously decided that that's how you want it to be.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I feel like there's actually a lot of pressure on people these days to turn their passions into a side hustle or a business or to monetize it some somehow. But it's totally, I've, I've said this a couple of times to my audience, it's okay if you don't want to start your own business or you don't want to monetize your hobbies somehow. Like that's completely and utterly okay. I'm interested what, When you were a lawyer, did you ever consider starting your own business or was this just like, like when you wanted to start your side hustle, was it like, yes, I've always wanted to start a business or was it like, oh, this is a random thing that
1: sounds fun. Let's try it out. A bit of both, more the latter though. It was definitely something I had, like I had started going to League of Extraordinary Women events and Business Chicks events at uni. So even before I'd gotten into the workforce, I was aware that entrepreneurship was something that interested me and that maybe one day I would be able to do. But I I sort of always had heard stories of people who had a really clear idea of what they wanted to do, or that it was something that made sense for them to go on and do. Whereas I was like, I don't really have any clear, unique skill set. I just am like good at a few different things. And there's no obvious like, oh, I'm great at baking. I should sell those things. (laughs) Yeah. So it was in the back of my mind that maybe one day in the future I might start my own thing, but I really honestly thought it would be after I'd been 10, 20 years in the workforce. Mm. So when it did happen, I didn't think that was the one. I didn't think this is the idea that's going to be my way out. I thought this is my random side hustle that I'm going to do for fun because I want matcha and I've already spent a lot of money on it and I need to sell some. And it turned (laughs) out to be the thing that made the transition happen a lot earlier than I ever thought, but... I do think there's a beauty in not expecting that it's going to be your one and not putting a lot of pressure on that being your, your big move, because then you allow it to happen and you're not paralyzed by worry about making it the best that you can be. You just make decisions based on what you think is the best at that time. There's a lot less obligation and expectation on yourself when you're like, it's just for fun. And I think that's the reason a lot of big businesses now started in that really casual way because if you tried to start the business that turned out to be, you never would have started.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because it it's so, it can be so overwhelming trying to think of all of the things that you need to do. And, and I can't imagine that when you first started with your first 10 kilos that you were just selling to your your family and friends, you would have ever thought about getting into urban outfitters in America or like having your own pop-up shop or having all like an online store that you sell to thousands of people all around the world. Like that's probably something your brain couldn't even come up with that idea or couldn't even comprehend, but through the process of getting there and it, it, they were like the progressive next steps going on to the next bigger and better sort of things.
1: Absolutely. I always say, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. But I think like another extension of that is if you saw the whole first step, the whole staircase, you might never take the first step because you'd be like, Holy shit, the staircase is too big. And I'm almost like the, I just finished oh. writing the a book and one of the big sort of lessons that I realized as I was writing it that I had learned in hindsight was that it's so important to dream big, to dream dream beyond your current situation, to dream beyond your doubts and to dream in a way that's like one day I could be the next blah. Like that's important yeah. in an ideation way, an inspiration way, but you have to plan small. You have to plan the nuts and bolts that are based on what's the immediate next step that you can take to get something done because until you've got your domain name, your ABN, like until you've got the really boring small things, you can't do the big thing anyway. So I think if you kind of bring your, your brain and your thinking back down to the small, it makes it achievable. It breaks it down into steps. The big vision out there is only going to scare you off in the beginning. So you have it out there in your mind, but it doesn't sit here. Here is just action, 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 because otherwise you get totally paralyzed.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's actually something that I I coach some people on the side. I have a digital marketing agency, but I also coach some people in this sort of personal development realm because I'm so passionate about it. And uh, one process that I take them through is creating a 10-year vision. And we start with the 10th year first because it opens up your mind to the possibilities of all of the amazing things that you could want to achieve or like people have never really been given the possibility to dream that big. That's not something that they give you the opportunity to do in school. So we start with the 10th year first, and then you have to try and reverse engineer your way back down through the years. But we still work always constantly focused on like the year ahead of us. What are the six month goals that I need to achieve? That's going to get me to the things that I've put for this year. And then what are the weekly goals that are going to get me to the six months to the first year to the, so always t- bring it back, reverse engineering it and looking at what are the things that I need to do this week that are going to get me to the goals that I want to achieve in six months or a year's time. I think it's so important.
1: Yeah. I think your, your coaching clients would be getting some excellent, excellent advice <laughs> from you. That's, it's so true. Like a uh, mm-hmm. Christina Carlson, who started Kiki K, one of the things she always says is, you you can't achieve anything if you don't give yourself permission to dream. Mm. And the question she always asks people is, what would you do if you couldn't fail? If there were literally no barriers, what's your big dream? But then what's your now list? What is the like now list? And I think that's that tension between the big and the small. That's the balance where you get your thinking either towards doing something or not doing something. So you have to kind of tweak what you allow your brain to think about at different times based on how you're feeling. Um, And it's really hard. I mean, I don't get it right all the time, but as long as you're aware that that's what your brain is doing, you're more likely to be able to channel it the right way.
0: Yeah, totally. We've spoken a little bit about Matcha Maiden in the episode and sort of everything that you've been doing with that business. But I would love for you to speak into a little bit more about Seize the Yay, because this is something that... I can tell you're very passionate about and I feel like my listeners will also gain a lot more from hearing a little bit about this. So what are you doing with Seize the Yeah,
1: again, it started as one of those things that was just on the side of the matcha businesses. It's almost like you step out of your comfort zone once, you kind of pat yourself on the back and I really thought this is it. Like I'm never going to have to do anything ever again. I'll just be a matcha maiden forever. But, you know, your comfort zone, catches up to you and about five years in, I was like, okay, now what? Like, it's amazing. It's been an incredible journey. And of course, I hadn't won business. I definitely hadn't learned everything I needed to learn. But the business was going in a direction that my, it had outgrown me. Like my skills were no longer serving it the best. And I was also not getting out of it what I think I, what I need for fulfillment in my day-to-day job. Not completely, but just enough to sort of think, well, maybe now that I've made my side hustle my full-time thing, maybe I need a side hustle as well. (laughs) And so it was, again, like a case of like looking at the gaps. What are the things I'm really lacking? What are the things I want to talk about or communicate that I can't? And then once I realized what those things were, it was like, what's the best way to package them? And I realized on my personal account, which had started to sort of just grow by nature of running the business and by showing more of the behind the scenes, the anxiety, the shit days and, and allowing that balance between what was on the business account versus what was going on behind the scenes, I realized that was more popular, that content of people going, Oh my God, thank God that you're human. And thank God you've had a, you have bad struggle days and motivation lacking days. And I thought I, I have so many conversations about that stuff with other business owners and other people more than I do about that. Oh, how great did that thing go? Where can they live? Where can those kind of conversations live? Because they're the ones that when you hear that other people are going through it, you can push through it because you're like, I'm not alone. Oh my God. It's it's something that if you feel isolated, it overwhelms you. But if you feel like it's normal, you can push through it. Yeah. So then I sort of thought, well, what can I do with the skills that I have that I can do again, like on the side, that has no particular deadline. It's not like starting a big YouTube channel that has like I need, you know, if I'm going to need camera people and blah, 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 like it's too much. I needed to dream big, but I wanted to have this all encompassing brand, but I started small. So I thought if conversations is the thing that I want to do, a podcast is probably the best place for them to live because on Instagram, people's attention span is a bit shorter, not even a clue what a podcast, where they lived, what they were. Like I barely even listened to them back then, but I just thought... I'll probably, I think that's the right place. So I Googled like, where do you get your equipment and then how do you use it? And I still remember the first day I was like, I've actually no flipping idea what I'm doing. I'm like setting up the mics and not even like like doing them together. And poor Rachel Finch, who was my first guest, was like, do you need help with this? But again, it was a process of, okay, well, if I buy the equipment and I commit, then I'm going to have to figure out reverse engineer how to use it. So I'll commit to buy, rip the bandaid. I'll figure it out backwards. I'll, I'll organize a guest. So I'm locked in and give myself a deadline. And that all happened in the process of like maybe three weeks of figuring it out. And I just went for it. And I was like, no obligation. There's no monetary pressure. There's no like if I stuff it up, it's just me. And the biggest risk is that I look a little bit stupid, but the biggest gain is that it could possibly be the most fulfilling thing I've done in a long time. Mm. And um, we're 97 episodes in now, which is like, I just still can't even believe that it went so well. And I think because podcasting is such a liberal, you're re- it's a really liberated platform because there's no likes, followers, subscribers. You don't get any data. I mean, you ha- and no one else gets your data, but even you hardly get any I just have conversations that I think are really interesting and important and show that finding your yay is not linear. It happens at all different ages and all different industries. It happens by people leaving jobs, going from business back into jobs, doing things as hobbies, doing things full-time jobs. Like there's so many different structures and over the course of, I think it's been about a year and a half now, those conversations started to also get traction. And then I thought, oh, one of the things that I really want to do is for people to have yay in their environment. Cause I believe, you know, you can't live a positive life with a negative mind or a negative environment. So then the next thing was like, oh, well in between podcasts, maybe you guys want quotes. So I'll make like a little flip book of quotes that sits on your desk. And then I thought, I don't know how to make a book. (laughs) I just figured that out too. I was like, I'll just buy the design program and just figure out how to do it. And then At the end of last year, that turned into a a proper book deal and now CCA is a book. So it's, again, one of those things that started out as a maybe, maybe Mm. something will come of it and it's ended up bigger than I ever expected. But I think because I didn't have a plan and I didn't have expectations, I've allowed it to just go wherever it wants. (laughs) And It's still I don't know what it's going to end up like after that. But Mm. um, I think we... Our life unravels in chapters and there was a, an amazing matcha chapter and this is kind of the cusp of the next one.
0: Yeah, amazing. I absolutely love that. And it seems to be a theme within everything that you do that you sort of just have this 100% confidence to back yourself. You don't really know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to go on, like if it's going to work, if it's not going to work, but you just sort of jump in head first anyway and just see how it goes like, see if it works. Like, I love that because a lot of people struggle so much with confidence, thinking. Oh my God, what if I fail? What if I, what if I do look stupid? Like you said, the worst thing that could happen would be I'll look a little bit stupid, but so many people let that fear of looking stupid or the fear of what their parents might say or the fear of, they just don't have enough confidence within themselves. They, they, They let that hold them back. Is there anything that you do particularly to help you feel more confident or is this something you've always had?
1: No, absolutely not. I've always been quite a a confident person since I was a child in terms of performing. Like I always loved, I was a ballerina. So in terms of being on a stage and in, in particular forums, I was very confident, but they were forums that I was familiar with. They were forums where I was really comfortable. So in terms of putting myself out there as a beginner or as a total novice, that was definitely not something I was familiar with because I went into a job that I'd studied for seven years to do. Like I was never out of my depth. There was always some kind of training behind me. And there was so much unlearning when I went from an industry where you have to, you're literally paid to identify risks and avoid them to an industry where you, the appetite for risk is what makes you successful. And a big part of that has been my husband. He's always had his own businesses. And so his appetite for risk and his resilience for looking silly and putting himself out there, it comes a lot more naturally to him. So being around someone who's like, hey, what's the worst that's going to happen, honestly? That kind of dialogue really reminds you and hammers it in that you're like, really, I think we talk about fear of failure, which is of course scary, Mm -hmm. but I think the failure if people knew that the failure wouldn't be public, I don't think they'd be scared of failure. Yeah, I think it's more fear of looking like you failed. It's fear of judgment and fear of looking silly that we're way more scared of. If people knew they could fail and no one would ever find out, they wouldn't care about the financial failure. They'd be like, whatever. It's more that people will maybe see that they put themselves out there. And I think the biggest thing I've learned is firstly, if you can get comfortable with looking stupid, you will be able to do anything. You'll become invincible because then you're free. You've actually liberated yourself from people's expectations. The best way to do that is often to make yourself look silly and preempt it because then you force yourself to be comfortable with it, which is why I really pushed myself in the early days to share stuff I wasn't comfortable with so that I would become comfortable with it and be like, well, you've seen my freaking seven chins. So now I'm not going to care if I accidentally have two chins, like that's a bonus. <laughs> you just take control of... You' the way people perceive you. But the other thing is self-doubt never goes away. The biggest thing I've learned from doing these CBA interviews is that the most successful, the least successful, the most famous, the least famous, everyone, no one outlives self-doubt except people who are complacent and who stop caring whether they're doing a good job or not. Most people, if they're invested in what they do, it's a sign that you care. In fact, you never want it to go away because then you'd think, well, now I'm not questioning whether I'm doing a good job or not. I'm, I'm just too comfortable. Yeah. The difference is that they learn to push through it rather than to let it dictate your decisions. So I kind of think it's going to happen anyway. It's almost like a reflex to anything new or uncomfortable. The big thing is instead of going, oh, maybe that doubt is right, maybe I shouldn't do it, it's just going, I see you, I know what you're doing, you're protecting, it's self-protection, you're protecting me, but actually you're wrong. You're almost always wrong. It's just a reflex. I'm just going to do it anyway Mm -hmm. and prove you wrong. And the main way to prove to yourself what you can do is doing it and just trying. If everything is hypothetical, you're never actually going to know and you'd rather an idea not work because it, the market wasn't right or because your product wasn't right. At least then you won't die wondering. You'll be like, I tried most of the time it will actually work. If it doesn't, you'll fix it and you'll do it another way. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the big thing is just starting and remembering that self-doubt isn't your enemy. It's just uh, something that proves you care, reminds you you're human, and then you push through it. And that's really, really helped me because before I would have seen it as a sign to not do it. I'd be like, like all these doubts mean not a good idea. Whereas now I'm like, that probably means it's the best idea because it means it's the scariest, which means it's the most unfamiliar, which means it's the best growth.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think it definitely, it comes back down to, I guess, self-awareness as well. Like knowing, being able to recognize, okay, that's that's a voice, that's a thought that's coming up for me that's not helpful, or it's it's a thought that's coming up that's going to help me grow or progress or become a better version of myself because I'm pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Some people don't necessarily have the ability to think, oh, that's a weird thought that's coming up in my head. Like I remember the first day I ever thought that to myself and I called my coach at the time, his name is Emil, and I was like, oh my God, Emil, I was just feeling super overwhelmed. And then I thought to myself, Hmm. Why am I feeling overwhelmed? What is this feeling and where is it coming from? And then I was like, oh my God, how did I just do that? And he was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) So it's a thing that some people don't actually have, but constantly trying to maybe journal about it or remind yourself that these are things that you can pick up on if you choose to.
1: Mm. It's
0: super important because once you can pick up on those things, you really start to take control of your mindset and you can recognize, okay, well, that's a bad emotion or that's an unhelpful emotion and that is separate from me. That's mm-hmm. not me and that's not who I am. It's a separate thing that I can control if I want to. So I think that's Absolutely. super important for people to remember as well.
1: Absolutely, I think you are not your emotions and too many people get them enmeshed all in one thing. But the one of the main concepts in psychology and I've like done so much therapy and psychology, obviously, to get to this point in my life. got <laughs> <laughs> kind of coaches and therapists. Um, one of the biggest concepts in, in achieving self-awareness in a positive way is the idea of metacognition, which really just means the ability to think about your own thoughts. And all of us have that. Yeah. It's not like a skill that some people are born with and they don't. It's just you have to be aware of it that it's a thing and then yeah. exercise it. And I think most people don't realize that they can have a thought and then have a thought about the thought. They only think they're sitting here. But once you can like kind of take a bird's eye view and think about your thoughts as an objective observer and then go, oh, she's having like a shit thought, like remove that. Oh, that's a great thought. Let's do that. Once you, I mean, it sounds a bit schizophrenic having all these voices in your head, but that's a multi-layered human does. Once you can exercise that metacognition and start to and it's the same with anxiety i actually learned it in the context of anxiety once you realize you are not your anxiety you can observe it as an observer and go you know what this is going to pass you feel it all consuming right now it'll pass your logical brain can tell you just wait it out you'll be fine you can cope with anything then because you can interpret it all the right way
0: sarah so if people want to find more about you online about your matcha, or about seize the yay where can they find you
1: Everywhere. <laughs> um, Rimple of Sarah on Instagram, CCA on Instagram, Matcha Maiden, Matcha Milk Bar on Instagram, they all go to me. So, any one of those you can pick, my email, um, my website, all the links are available on all of those pages. Um, there's about a million different ways you can get to me, and I try and keep track of all of them. And um, love questions, love comments, love feedback, um, love connecting with new people
0: amazing thank you so much for joining me on the show I absolutely loved everything that we talked about and it was it was super interesting to hear again about your story I think we dove a little bit deeper and it's great to hear where you've gone in the past couple of years and the journey that you've been on because it sounds like it's been an amazing journey so thank you so much for joining me
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're welcome. Until the next episode, guys, we'll see you later. Bye.
1: Want even more
0: amazing content to listen to or watch? Head over to my Instagram at TaylorVictoria. That's T A Y L O R dot victori where you will get so much more epic content plus you'll be able to find the link to my youtube channel if you head over to my youtube channel you will see a whole bunch of videos around mindset personal development and how you can become the best version of you possible oh and if you have a spare minute i would absolutely love if you could subscribe so that i can share my message with the world until the next episode stay awesome implement what you heard on this episode and Take action towards creating your dream life. Bye.